Turn around and take your Bibles. Just go ahead and open your Bibles up to two places. I'm going to let you be seated in a moment, but not right yet. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 16. Hold your finger there. And then flip over to Luke, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to preach to the balcony. It sounds like they're the only ones excited today. But right out of the gate, I want to go ahead and give you the thought that our conversation will center around. Is that okay? Are you ready? Sometimes we devalue our potential for success by ignoring God's role in the process. Let me say that again because I need that to resonate within your spirit. Put that up if you will. Sometimes we devalue our potential for success by ignoring God's role in the process. How many of you know God has a plan? Everything that we see, he's the author and creator of everything that we see. He's the giver of every good gift. He has a plan, a divine design, a course of action. And sometimes in his infinite wisdom, he does things that we do not understand in our finite wisdom. And we'll make plans and we'll make courses of action and we'll make this event and that event and this sermon. And all of a sudden, God will say, nope. If you'll remember, two weeks ago, we said we were closing out the series, The Good Life, and then God put in my spirit, I'm not finished with that yet. So today, I want to take you to two passages of Scripture that are abstractly connected. Just to continue in that vein of conversation. In fact, let me just go ahead and give to you the title for today's message. I actually have two. I couldn't decide on either one, so I just, I'm going to give you both of them. Managing his goodness is the first one. Look at your neighbor and say, how are you managing? Managing his goodness. And the second title is, it's posture over position. It's posture over position. This message was really birthed a couple of weeks ago when I was closing down what I thought was the end of that series. And the Holy Spirit gave me a statement that I gave to you We were talking about Elijah and Elisha and how Elisha had said to Elijah that I want a double portion of everything that you've received. And Elijah said to him, he said, you've asked for a very difficult thing. But he goes on to say, but if you see me caught up to heaven in the whirlwind, it shall be yours. And so all of these prophets are standing around and they're waiting to see. If, if Elijah's power and mantle of anointing will fall upon Elisha so that Elisha can continue the legacy, the ministry, the mission of Elijah. And I made a statement something like this, that I wonder if the world that we're living in today is waiting for the church to pick up the mantle of anointing that Christ left on the day of resurrection so that we can take a message to a lost and dying world? Or has the church become more interested and more focused upon success rather than faithfulness? Are we more focused upon success rather than faithfulness? Have we forgotten that success requires faithfulness? Good Lord, have mercy that I preach. So I want to take you to a passage of Scripture today, beginning in Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read it just for the context of conversation, and then we're going to jump out of it. So let me read this with you while you're standing, and then I'll have you 
seated after we read this. It says in verse 1, chapter 16 of Luke, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. I need you to understand something about this verse, really about this parable. The rich man is God. The manager is us as individuals or corporately as the church. We're the managers. God is the rich ruler. It says in verse 2, so he called him in and he asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. You see, the manager was living for the rich ruler. The manager was living for God. But the problem is the goodness of God was not being seen in the manager's lifestyle. The manager was living for God, but the goodness of God was not being managed by the manager. Let me say it this way. Maybe this will ring a bell. Sometimes we stop the flow of blessing in our lives because we believe the blessing that we received is just for us when God wants us to be a conduit for others to be blessed. Hmm. Sometimes we mismanage what God has given us because we're more concerned about position rather than the posture of our hearts. Sometimes we see the very gift from God's hand to our hands, but we allow our position in life to negate what God is doing. Sometimes we allow our position to influence our posture. It works in the opposite way as well. Sometimes we allow the condition of life to influence our posture. I wonder how many times as a church we've stood up and said, look at our position, look at what we have, rather than than saying, look at who Christ is and what he has done. It's posture over position. I I need to stop right there before I start preaching. Verse 3 says this. We're all left with this question. When we mismanage, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse 4 says, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Verse 7, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He said, sit down, take your bill and make it 800. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than than are the people of the light. When you read verse 8, it almost seems like God is honoring the dishonesty of this manager. However, that's not really the case. Look at verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, when it is gone, when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying basically right here is that use your position of influence to bring about change to those around you. He's also saying something that we don't all like to hear, but he's saying give it all away because really it's your eternal reward in heaven. Is, that's your greatest reward. What he's addressing in verse 9 is the posture of the manager's heart. He's saying that your heart should be heaven-centered. You see, this is a very complex parable. In fact, it's one of the most complex parables that Jesus taught. But then he says something in verse 10. Look what he says. He says, 
Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. But it's verse 3 that I want to focus on for today. It's verse 3. It says, what shall I do? What shall I do, the manager says. What shall I do? High five your neighbor and, and say, how are you managing? And then you can be seated. What shall I do, the manager said. What shall I do? It's at this moment that the manager's greatest fear comes to fruition. It's at this moment that the manager realizes that apart from God, he can do nothing. What shall I do? It's at this moment that the manager realizes that everything that he's been a success with in life is a direct result of the hand of God being upon him. Everything that's been successful in his life is a direct result of the goodness of God. What shall I do now that I'm apart from God? What shall I do? Shall I dig ditches? Shall I dig holes? What shall I do? You see, God had given the manager an assignment. He had given him an assignment. I need you to see yourself in the context of this story as the manager. God has given you an assignment. Each and every one of you, God has given an assignment. An assignment in your marriage, an assignment in your relationships, an assignment in your jobs, an assignment in your businesses, an assignment in your school, an assignment in your finances. In fact, here's what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, those who can be trusted with a lot or with a little can be trusted with a lot. Those who cannot be trusted with a little cannot be trusted with a lot. Hold on a second. Jesus is making inference here that there will be things in life that we will not receive because we have mismanaged what we have already received. Oh, Lord. And then we're stuck in life wondering where Jesus is at. When is the flow of God's goodness going to show up in my life? And the reason for that is because we've placed a higher value on position rather than the posture of our hearts. When I think about this concept, I, I think about King David. In Psalms chapter 16, here is King David who found himself in a what shall I do moment. Here's King David who realized, even as the king, that everything good in his life was a direct result of everything that God had done for him. And therefore, he managed everything that he had received in life as if he had received it from God. And so in Psalms chapter 16, let me read some of this to you. In Psalms chapter 16, something happens that is absolutely radical. Something that, that, that we would tend to focus upon our position or our condition in life. But when David found himself in a what shall I do moment, he did not focus upon his position as king bringing him hope. He focused on his posture, the posture of his heart and how it was connected to God. Let me show you something. Here's what it says in Chapter 16, it says in verse 1, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Hold on a second. Here is the most mighty man in Israel. He's the king. He is the king. He's the most powerful man, if you will, in the world. But yet this king says, I take refuge in you, the king of kings. Then he goes on to say something else in verse 2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good 
thing. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I need you to grasp, grab this because here is what's happening. He is the king. He's the most mighty man in the world. He has status. He has wealth. He has notoriety. He has prominence. He has promise. He has personality. He, he, has, he has potential. He has all of this preferential treatment. He has the palace. He has everything. He's riding around town in his Escalade. He's got it all. But then he goes on to say, apart from you, God, I am nothing. No good thing happens in my life without you. Apart from you, everything that I am is a result of you. Everything that I have is a result of you. Everything that I am not is a result of you because you realize that I did not need it. Everything that has happened in my life that is good is a result of you. Here is this king bowing down to the king of kings. Here is David's heart, a heart of worship. I have to wonder how our lives would change if our heart was postured the way David's heart is Lord apart from you there is no good thing in my life apart from you God you're my refuge you're my strength you're my shelter you are my strength when I'm weak you are my rest when I'm tired God you are my salvation my grace and my hope apart from you there is no good thing Listen, I have to wonder, you've got to grab this. I have to wonder how our lives, how our worship would change if we saw ourselves the way God sees us. Think about that. How would our worship change if we saw ourselves the way God sees us? David had popularity, prominence, potential, promise. None of those things were important to him at this moment. Not, not his personality, not, not his prominence, not, not his potential, not his promise. But the most important thing to him at this moment when he found himself in this position was the fact that God's presence was with him. The very thing that the manager in Luke chapter 16 feared losing most. You see, the point that I'm trying to make is this. You see... The greatest asset that David had to manage was the posture of his heart. In fact, let me show you something. Look at verses 3 through 5. Watch, it says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood. To such gods or take up their names on my lips. Verse 5, I love this. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. In some of your translations, that verse says, not Lord, you alone are my portion, but it says, Lord, you assigned to me the portion of my inheritance. In fact, in the original manuscript, that's what it says. You ought to write that in the margin of your Bible, that the Lord assigned to you the portion of your inheritance. The portion of your inheritance. He assigned to you. Hold on a second. That's the same thing that the manager in Luke chapter 16 was talking about. That God had assigned to him a portion to manage. And here is David saying, and you made my lot secure. That is a Hebrew term. You need to understand what that means before we can move on. That Hebrew term actually means that God had given him the ability, the strength to manage and to maintain everything that he had given him. But then it's verse 6 that really blows me away. You've got to see this. Verse 6. He says, the boundary lines 
have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I love that. The boundary lines have fallen. He's talking about success. But he's saying that those beautiful things are a direct result of his proximity to God. Are you grabbing this? The beauty of his life is a direct result of his proximity to God. You see, I wonder how many times we devalue our potential for success by ignoring God's role in the process. I wonder how many times that we forget who gave us our portion, who assigned to us our portion. I wonder how many times we forget who it is who establishes our boundary lines. I wonder how many times we forget who it is who gave us the cup in the first place. I wonder how many times we forget the purpose of the cup. Can I hang out here with the cup for a moment? I wonder how many times we forget the purpose of a cup. Therefore, we mismanage the cup. And when we mismanage the cup, we forget we forget who gave us the cup in the first place because we get so wrapped up in doing what that we forget the why of our inheritance that we forget the why of God's portion that we forget the boundary lines that he's drawn for our lives we forget it because we're so wrapped up in doing what that we forget why let me get all up in your business for a minute it's like being a parent it seems like it sometimes our kids are such a blessing but at other times they're a burden And we're like, God, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out trying to raise these kids on my own. This cup seems to be overwhelming to me. God, I just can't take it anymore. And pretty soon we begin to mismanage the cup. We don't raise our kids in a godly way. It's like our, it's like our jobs. We don't like the job. We don't like the cup that we seem to have been assigned. And so therefore we begin to mismanage the cup. We show up 15 minutes late. We leave 15 minutes early. We take extended lunches. Why even try to meet my quota? Because my boss, he never even acknowledges that I met my quota. I never feel appreciated by my boss. Can I tell you something? You're not doing your job for a pat on the back from your employer. You're doing your job to bring glory to God. Let me go a little further up in your business for a minute. Some of you are like, well, I'm mismanaging my finances. I understand that, but I don't have a need for a budget because I don't have any finances to manage. But can I tell you something? As long as you are not telling your money where to go, you will always wonder where your money is going. Good heavens, Lord have mercy. Listen, I stopped relying upon you a long time ago to fill my cup up with encouraging words. It's not that you don't encourage me. You guys are great at encouraging me. But your encouragement is only temporary. I have to hang on to the cup that God gave me. The cup that overflows in His presence. Because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Somebody give Him praise in this place. Hold on a second. You see, if we mismanage what we've already been given, we risk losing the greatest asset of all, his presence. David said, you've established my boundaries in beautiful places. But the manager in Luke chapter 16 says, apart from God, I I can't do anything. What am I going to do? Am I going to dig ditches? But David writes... You've established my boundaries in beautiful places. But some of you right now, you're saying, well, hold on a second, Pastor Mark. I just have to be honest with you. The boundaries that God has established for me don't seem to be so beautiful. I mean, it's easy for David to have such a beautiful soliloquy about the beauty of being the king. He's got the throne. He has the palace. He has the escalade. 
He's got it all. He's got it. It's, it's obviously beautiful for him. He's got everything that he needs. Well, I, I thought you might say that. So I left something out intentionally at the very beginning of chapter 3. Look at your Bibles. Look at it. At the very top of, of chapter 16, it says this. It says each psalm is generally given a title, if you will, or a purpose or a reason for its existence. Chapter 16 of Psalms says, A mictum of David. Do you see that? You ought to circle it. It's a mictum of David. Let me tell you what that means. That's a Hebrew term. It actually means that it is a psalm that was written in perilous times. It's a psalm that was written in the crisis of life. It's a psalm that was written when the floodwaters took over a city. It's a psalm that was written when David really didn't know what to do and being the king in his position didn't help him not one bit. It's a psalm that was written and he says that God has established my boundaries in beautiful places. You see, what David is saying, and you got to grab this, what David is saying is not that the throne is beautiful, not that his palace is beautiful, not that his Escalade chariot is beautiful, not that all of his horses are beautiful, not that all of the pasture land that he owns is beautiful. What he's saying is he's become content in the place of peril, in the place of crisis, being content in the beauty of who God is. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You see, he doesn't talk about his position at all in this passage of Scripture. He talks about his posture, the posture of his heart being connected to God. Oh, Lord, this message is for those of you who are worn out trying to raise your kids, trying to figure out how to have enough energy to do what God has called you to do. This is for those of you who have been called by God to do something and you don't seem to have the passion or the wherewithal or the provision to do what God has called you to do. This is for those of you who have to go to a job tomorrow and you don't even like the job that you're going to. This is for those of you who don't have enough money and you're trying to stretch out your money until the next direct deposit comes this coming Friday. What you need to understand is that any place that you find yourself in, God is greater still. I think about David who's writing this as a king looking back over his life, Harvey. And he's looking at his kingship in retrospect. And I think about how he's managing the presence of God in his life, in the crisis of life. Not talking about how the throne helped him, how his bank account helped him, how his friends helped him, how his servants helped him, but how God helped him. And then I really began to reflect upon his life and I I realized that his kingship almost didn't happen. In fact, if you know anything about David, you'll remember that Samuel came to David's father's house, Jesse. There was this big king-choosing party, and David wasn't even invited to the party. In fact, Samuel walks in, and he asks Jesse, he said, parade your sons across in front of me. So Jesse parades all of his sons across, seven sons. And God says, nope, and nope, and nope, and nope, and nope, and nope. looks at Jesse and says, um, hang on a second, do you have any more sons? He said, yeah, I sure do, man. He's just this little runt of a teenager. He's out in the pasture tending some sheep. So Samuel said, send for him. David comes in and says, yes, dad, yes. And all of a sudden, God says, that's the one. Aren't you glad that God chooses who others refuse? 
So he broke open the oil. He poured it on David's head. And he didn't tell David to go to the throne. He told David to go back to the pasture. Hold on a second. He's been anointed for the palace, but he has to be content in the pasture. He's been anointed for the palace, but yet he has to understand how to manage the pasture before he can ever manage the palace. Oh, my Lord. So here is David managing the pasture. He has to be content in the pasture, even though he's been anointed for the palace. He has to tend the sheep on those lonely, cold, dark nights. Here he is being faithful, managing how to, sl- how to work with his slingshot, managing by writing songs to God. Here he is being faithful in the, in the pasture before he can ever be trusted with the palace. He understands that who can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot. Here he is trying to manage the pasture because he understands if he cannot manage the pasture correctly, he'll never be given the palace to manage. Oh, you need to understand this. Some of you need to realize when David writes, apart from you, God, I am nothing. You need to realize that you cannot do what you need to do in life without God, without the presence of God. God, if it's not you, I'll fail. God, if you're not with me, I will not know the way. God, if you're not in my marriage, it will fail. If you're not in my finances, it will fail. If you're not with me raising my kids, it will fail. If you're not in my school, it will fail. Listen, what good is the cup that you receive if it is not full of the presence of God? Because it is the presence of God that can change any atmosphere of any cup that you receive. Listen, this is not a lecture. This is a sermon. You can hollow. You see, sometimes I think we're so focused on the portion that God has given us to manage that we mismanage the thing that is the greatest asset of all, His presence. We can never have our cup full and overflowing without His presence. It is His presence that changes the atmosphere of every cup that we've ever received. What heart of God? Mm. We're so busy trying to maximize our potential while we minimize God's role in the process. God gave you an assignment. He gave you a very specific assignment. He gave you an assignment in in your home. He gave you an assignment in your career. He gave you an assignment at school. He gave you an assignment in your relationships. He gave you an assignment. Listen, what you need to understand is the goodness of life is not based upon where you find yourself. The goodness of life is based upon the fact that God goes with you everywhere that you find yourself. I need you to realize this. Here's David. Here's David. You see, some of us, David, notice this, the hope of his kingdom, the the hope of uh, of the throne, the hope of his wealth. He he talks about the hope of God. And and sometimes I think we, we need to realize that we've got to stop worrying about what God has given us or has not given us as a portion, as as an assignment, and rather begin to manage his presence because it is his presence that will open the door to the rest of what God has for you. Hmm. Let me continue to read because we gotta we gotta get done here. Verse seven, pick it up. If you're there, say I'm there. He goes on to write, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. In the darkness of night, <laughs> the posture of his heart. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with your joy in your presence. Oh, Lord, there it is. You ought to circle that in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. With eternal pain, says, you make known to me, who makes known to him? Not a committee, not his presidential cabinet, not his advisors, but rather God. You see, the path of life is discovered through the presence of God. I need you to grab that. God has given you an assignment. But the path of your life can only be discovered through the presence of God. You see, let me, let me twist my words here for a moment. You see, some of you, God is waiting for you to get into position so that when you get into that position, things will begin to shift in your life. Things will begin to happen in your life. Things will begin to happen so that you'll get in that, that position so that he can expand your boundaries, so that your boundaries will fall in beautiful places. And some of you right now are saying, well, hold on. If you've been listening, you're like, well, hold on. That's, that's really contradictory to what you've already said because you said it's posture over position. Well, what you really need to understand is that God will, when you get into position, if the posture of your heart is right, he's going to take advantage of the posture of your heart to cause your position to influence others so that their boundaries fall in beautiful places. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? God is looking for those who will say, I will go, I will do, I will give, I will serve. Even when I wish someone would serve me, I will love even when I don't feel loved. I will encourage when I need somebody to encourage me. I will serve when no one is looking so that God will pour out his goodness when everyone is looking. What shall I do. You see, the goodness of life is not determined by the absence of problems. The goodness of life is determined by the presence of God. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise in this place. 